Hello, my beautiful friends. Welcome to Spiritual Conversation, honest and joyful explorations of ideas to help us align with our true spiritual purpose and live our best lives. I am your host, Jacqueline Clare, Mermaid of the Airwaves, here to take your hand and go on some deep dives together. And today I have so many thoughts I want to thread together, and I just thought that I would give you the raw version and just just dive in, okay? Because that's what I promised. So 2030, the year 2030, you will own nothing and you will be happy. Doesn't that sound like someone like holding a knife to your throat? Like to me, that is the most terrifying thing someone could say. You're going to do this and you're going to like it. And this was the uh, you can search that you own nothing you will be ha happy and it will it also says you will have no privacy and this was an article that was published on the world economic forum website in 2016 and it ties into the great reset which this is a follow-up to my not so great reset episode if you have not heard of the great reset, that's a big red flag. Uh, it's not a conspiracy theory. This is actually part of what they're consulting at, what they were consulting at at Davos and part of the world economic um, consultations. And I say consultations with some degree of irony because it's not grassroots by any means as much as it claims to be for the benefit of the common person. And if you haven't heard of the Great Reset, it's also it appears to becoming synonymous with just building back. And maybe you've heard about that building back, building back better. And I want to just address so many things. First off, when lockdown first started, after the initial like sort of shock of it when it kind of was like okay okay like i guess this is this is the groove for a while like you know april may um i for one found good things in it and i think actually most people did like apart from the economic devastation or fear of it we all realized we'd been moving way too fast and there was something nice about getting to stay home like having to stay home and i for one rediscovered reading for pleasure and i even watched a few movies this last year like you know i learned kind of how to be human again and i suspect like people who uh, are not in nursing homes got to spend more time with their families and and go a little slower maybe pick up old hobbies like really wonderful things and i look back to my days of freedom and i miss a lot of things i miss traveling and i miss not seeing people in masks and i miss i miss all the the job opportunities without without weird complications that we now have. But I also realized, you know, I wasn't, I didn't fully appreciate it. And there was also a lot that wasn't good. And I think 
and I can't fully put my finger on it. I just know like just because I could go out to a bar and meet people didn't mean that I ever did or wanted to, right? Like those sort of symbols of freedom um, as much as I, I think people should be able to go out and do whatever they want. It's like life was not fully satisfying the way it was, I think, for anyone, which is why I personally believe we've been so willing and embracing, not just to be conscientious citizens when there's a virus going around, but even deeper, like something we were willing to, yeah, let's try something different. Like, yeah, let's let's dismantle XYZ. Let's let's tear down those statues. Let's reimagine home life, work life, travel, all of that stuff. Like, so apart from again being conscientious about a virus, I think there's an underlying desire, an underlying unrecognized yet recognition that life is not satisfying and that we are willing as individuals and a collective to try to find a new way. And I think that is really good and really important and really something we should hold on to because I don't have all the answers, but I do know that our global society is spiritually... I don't want to say bankrupt, but spiritually starving. And, you know, we we raise children, for example, to work hard in school so that then they can get into a good college, so that then they can work really hard and get a good degree. So what? So they can make a lot of money. And there's nothing wrong with, with wealth and income, but like for that to be the star that we aim for shows, I think, and that's why, you know, we lose sensitive people to drugs and suicide and stuff who may be very intelligent and have a lot to offer because it's like, well, that's not motivating. So that's to say, yes, my brothers and sisters, my fellow citizens on this planet, we absolutely can redesign the world, but we have to do it. And that means you have to know about the Great Reset and these things that that people in positions of authority are consulting about because you need to be able to weigh in on it, to speak out against it, or whatever the case may be because, um, because it's actually happening. It's actually happening and there's just a lot that we need to pay attention to. So. I'm not fully going to go into what the Great Reset is and what Agenda 2030 is because there's a lot of great videos on that. There are a lot of great articles. You can do your research on that. What I want to do is share some really illuminating insights that have really started to crystallize for me what my instinctual issue with this is and what the solution, the alternative, the true solution is. And these insights really crystallized for me when I was rereading The Secret of Divine Civilization written by Abdu'l-Baha in 1875. Um, yeah, so let me just jump in and start sharing with you this 
elements of this book and that will sort of thread the whole discussion together. So first off, the 20, Agenda 2030 idea is that, you know, you will own nothing, you will be happy, or else, I guess, that's how it feels to me. Like, ugh, doesn't that sound like something um, like a kidnapper would say to you, you know, like, you're going to, you're going to lick my boot and you're going to like it. Um, you will own nothing, you will be happy. Um, what if privacy becomes a luxury good? This was a session from the Economic Forum's annual meeting in 2017. So what if what if your privacy was a luxury? Wouldn't that make you happy? And you will own nothing, of course. Um, let me just speak on this a little bit. I actually get it. Uh, when I uh, bought furniture for the first time in my life uh, several years ago, it was like so radical because neither of my parents like own a lot of furniture and neither of them have ever owned property. Like they're creatives, they're sort of, my mom is nomadic. I understand not wanting to be bogged down with material goods. I understand not making that the absolute, you know, s s hallmark of, of a good life. Um, I understand wanting to reimagine the conception of work and how many hours we work and what we do. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an artist and podcaster, for goodness sakes. Like, I understand the idea that a human's greatest um, contribution is more so their ability to dream and imagine than their ability to be a cog in the wheel. Like, I understand all of those things. I also understand co-ops and collaboration and community and why on earth does everyone need to own a lawnmower when we could have one lawnmower and find a, a way for everyone to use it like that concept of non-ownership i do understand however and this is the key to the baha'i vision for like the baha'i commonwealth two things these things must be absolutely voluntary because that's dictatorship and oppression when, when your basic rights as an individual are taken away from you and, and not by your informed volun, volun, what, what would be the word there? Voluntarily, without you volunteering it. And also that these things are a reflection of our spiritual growth. I don't think most people would want to, you know, share a communal lawnmower right now because you're afraid people won't take care of it. You're afraid people won't return it on time. You're afraid someone will get a rock in it and not address it and then it'll be handed off to the next person. You're afraid people will um, steal parts from it. You're afraid someone will steal it outright. Like all of these reasons. Not until we've reached the point where virtue and morality is like, brings people joy, will these things work? Not until, you know, you know that everyone in your community has a high standard of consideration and, and 
excellence and cleanliness and truthfulness and integrity and uh, dependability, well, these things work. It's really that simple. And the 20th century, we had enough experiments in what happens when you take away people's rights and try to enforce uh, cooperation and ideologies. Like a hundred million people died through attempts at communism. Like we've tried it. Let's try something else that's truly spiritual and grassroots. Okay. So from Abdu'l-Bahá. Not until discipline, order, and good governance reach the degree where an individual, even if he should put forth his utmost effort to do so, would still find himself unable to deviate by so much as a hair's breadth from righteousness, can the desired reforms be regarded as fully established. So, not until righteousness really is is the bedrock will any proposed reforms top-down reforms work that is how i understand that passage also after my last episode i have some people say well like especially as a baha'i and and having overlap with this plan and vision of a united and collaborative world, um, aren't there things about the Agenda 2030 that there are um, statesmen and scientists and and economic experts and all that consulting about how to create a sustainable, equitable world? Aren't these good things? And Abdu'l-Bahá says, well, furthermore, any, any agency, whatever, though it be the instrument of mankind's greatest good, is capable of misuse. Its proper use or abuse depends on the varying degrees of enlightenment, capacity, faith, honesty, devotion, and high-mindedness of the leaders of public opinion. And if you watch my episode on the not so great reset, I pointed out without laying down specifics because I don't like to name drop, but so many people in 2020 that were in positions of governance or affecting public policy really showed their colors by um, by laying down really strict rules for the masses and then themselves violating it and being caught doing so. So to me, it was a wonderful gift to re- a wake up call to everyone to that we are not at this point, no matter how good some sort of agenda sounds, if the people behind it are not at the utmost levels of enlightenment, capacity, faith, honesty, devotion, and high-mindedness, it's capable of misuse and it's not going to work. You know, the best laid plans of mice and men, which is why we, we need a plan that is beyond, that comes from a source beyond that of mice and men. 
So another thing that I found extremely interesting, I also did an episode several months ago called Independent Investigation of Truth. Go watch the episode. Um, But one thing that sort of came through in that episode is how we have a clergy in the West that is not religious, it's popular, it's the press. And like any clergy, it's capable of great good or great harm. And it's so interesting in this book by Abdu'l-Bahá in 1875, he's talking about the ecclesiastical, the, the governance and religious authorities in Persia at the time. And it's a very loving but scathing review on Persia and how it's been managed. And he points out how the the governance, the ecclesiastical authorities use slander to denounce their opponents, to, to denounce anyone that is not falling in line with their agendas. He really says this. This is on page 56 and 57 of my copy of this book. So essentially, he says they, when the the priesthood, so to speak, speaks to the public, and they're trying to discredit certain ideas, they essentially say that those ideas that they disapprove of lack virtue or are um, heretical. So they essentially call on people's goodness, their desire for righteousness and religion and virtue and morality to denounce people. And I feel that our press does that a lot right now, that this idea of virtue signaling and that if you agree with this but not that or if you don't wear your mask when you're jogging outside or whatever, all of these things that you're selfish – you're whatever, you're bigoted, you're this, you're that. Like there's a lot of pressure being put on us in the name of virtue. And that's kind of the agenda 2030 and and um, environmentalism and all of that. Like it's all, of course, I believe in taking care of the environment and having fairness and justice for all. Um, but when it starts to be like, well, you're selfish if you don't agree with this, you're backwards if you don't do X, Y, Z, that's when it starts to feel like what Abdu'l-Bahá is talking about here. And he goes on to say, with words such as these, they assault the minds of the helpless masses and disturb the hearts of the bewildered poor who know nothing of the true state of affairs and the real basis for such talk and remain completely unaware of the fact that a thousand selfish purposes are concealed behind the supposedly religious eloquence of certain individuals. Can you believe this is Abdu'l-Bahá talking? And again, in my opinion and perspective. I think we can replace religious with virtuous, with not virtuous in the true sense, virtuous in the sort of pressured public 
sense, and that our religious authorities, our priesthood, is now the, the press and sort of popular opinion. They imagine the speakers of this type are motivated by virtuous zeal when, this is Abdu'l-Baha speaking, the truth is that such individuals keep up a great hue and cry because they see their own personal ruin in what? The welfare of the masses. They see their own ruin if other people, if the masses are enlightened and prosperous. That's how I understand welfare of the masses and believe that if the people's eyes are opened, their own light will go out. Only the, so if we see what's going on, then, you know, these people in positions of, of authority and priesthood will lose their domains, perhaps their dominions. Only the keenest insight will detect the fact that if the hearts of these individuals were really impelled by righteousness and the fear of God, the fragrance of it would, like musk, be spreading everywhere. Nothing in the world can ever be supported by words alone. So make of that what you will. But if these people who have great capacity to influence culture, be it through the media or like the world leaders who are at, you know, Davos and, and the, you know, great intellectuals who are writing articles like what if privacy becomes a luxury good, um, if these people actually had, were enlightened and spiritual, the light of that would be spreading, you know? He later says that, um, well, I'll just read it to you. Something about priesthood in the wrong hands. Oh, I think I lost it. Yeah, okay. So when the weapons are in a coward's hands, no man's life and property are safe and thieves only grow the stronger. When in the same way, a far from perfect priesthood, press, popular opinion leaders, acquire control of affairs, they become like a massive curtain between the people and the light of faith. So we know that even the best laid plans can be misused if they are in the hands of people with selfish motives. And don't have your head in the sand, obviously, so many people have selfish motives and we saw a lot of that in 2020 and we're seeing it in 2021 as well so what do we need well we need divine civilization we need a divinely inspired plan and 
Abdu'l-Baha says that it is certain that the greatest instrumentalities for achieving the advancement and the glory of man, the supreme agency, the supreme agency for the enlightenment and the redemption of the world is love and fellowship and unity among all the members of the human race. Nothing can be affected in the world, not even conceivably without unity and agreement. Nothing without unity and agreement. And how do we do this? The perfect means for engendering fellowship and union is true religion. True religion, which is divinely inspired and brought forth, which is then the spiritual transformation of individual souls and their voluntary and informed consultation and collaboration. There's a bit more on this topic. It is religion to sum up, which produces all human virtues. And it is these virtues, which are the bright candles of civilization. The purpose of these statements is to make it abundantly clear that the divine religions, the holy precepts, the heavenly teachings are the unassailable bases of human happiness and that the peoples of the world can hope for no relief, no real relief or deliverance without this one great remedy. Did you catch that? The people of the world can hope for no real relief or deliverance without this one great remedy. And he goes on to say, He's great at sort of restating his points over and over again so that we get it, so that we get it. So he said, he's saying over and over again, we need true religion, true religion, true religion. And that the panacea, this remedy, must be administered by a wise and skilled physician for the hands of an incompetent, for in the hands of an incompetent, all cures that the Lord of men has ever created to heal men's ills could produce no health. And on the contrary, only destroy the helpless and burden the hearts of the already afflicted. So even, even if secular institutions or people who uh, are not actually enlightened but have a degree of intelligence that you know what let's just take Baha'u'llah's plan and we'll implement it ourselves like don't worry about transforming the hearts and minds of men we'll just like take this Jackie says on her podcast Baha'u'llah's given a blueprint we'll just take this blueprint and we'll build ourselves he's saying even the best remedy in the hands of incompetent physicians will destroy the helpless and burden the hearts of the already afflicted. So they will only mess things up more in the hands of, of a poor physician. 
So I, I think I've made my point clear, my beautiful friends. Thanks for taking this journey with me. Learn about the Great Reset. Learn about Agenda 2030. And even more importantly, study along with me with my YouTube series, Reading the World Order of Baha'u'llah. It's really my first step in a you know personal but also public path of uh, really deepening on this the true solution for all of the world's problems, like how, how do we live it? How do we be it? How do we build it? And not just going along with, yeah, that's, that sounds close enough. Like, cause I think, I think that's going to lead us down a really scary path. So my beautiful friends, I wish you the best for playing your part and making this world a better place. I will catch you with another spiritual conversation two Tuesdays from here. And until then, if you would like to sign up for my project during the Baha'i Fast called 19 Days of Inspiration, of course it starts March 1st, but you can go ahead and sign up now, daily art and devotional emails to feed your soul during the Baha'i Fast. The sign up link is below. And a Yamaha as well. You probably still have time if you wanted to order some original art, some fine art prints, or copies of Noble Beings. And I have that linked in the show notes or below on YouTube. All right, my friends, catch you next time.